Good morning. You guys doing okay? Am I the only one that finds that funny? Yeah, there's like one other guy. I laughed. I watched those all week and laughed all week. I'm like, they're going to find this so funny, and it's like two people. So anyway, the rest of you are like, I don't know what that's all about. But hey, today we're talking about comparing ourselves to others, and so I thought I would quickly show that just to show you how the different languages compare to each other. Um, You know, not exaggerated at all, I'm sure. But um, we are continuing our series, Extraordinary. And what we're doing in this series is we are looking at ordinary people who have surrendered their lives to an extraordinary God, and we see the amazing things that God can do through them. And our, our goal and our hope is, as we go through the series, that every single one of us who is just an ordinary individual will recognize what God is able to do in us when we give our lives to him. So last week we looked at Abraham, and today we want to look at his wife Sarah. And we know a lot more about Abraham than we do about Sarah. But obviously when we look at Sarah's life, when we look at Abraham and we bring them together as a married couple, um, you know, Abraham, this man of faith, uh, I think it's safe to say that Sarah must have been very similar to that. That Sarah would have had tremendous faith in God because I think if Abraham would have had a wife who was constantly discouraging him and constantly saying, you know, are you sure, are you sure? I'm not sure if Abraham would have always been able to do the things that he was willing to do because his wife would have probably discouraged him. And so my guess is, and we're going to read into this, but my guess is that Sarah was also an individual who had tremendous faith in God and encouraged her husband to remain obedient. And so this couple's whole life really is a life fully surrendered to God because the things that they were willing to do was amazing. Now, like we said last week, they didn't always get it right. They didn't always you know, do the things exactly the way they were supposed to do. But for the most part, one of the things that's very clear in this couple's life is that they were faithful to God, that they surrendered both their, their lives to him and were willing to do whatever he um, asked of them to do. And so we pressed pause last week in Genesis chapter 16, verse 12. And this is where we, we stopped for a second because here's what had happened up to this point. Um, Sarah had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. And because Sarah was not able to have children... Sarah gave Hagar to her husband Abraham and, you know, and with the idea that he would have children through her so that Sarah, in a sense, would say, I had children through my slave and my husband. And that seems maybe a little bit strange for us today to think of that, but in those days it wasn't that uncommon of a thing to do. Now, I don't think that most husbands, if any, really understand the pain that a woman um, experiences when she is not able to bear children or when she's not able to have kids. But in the Bible times, it was, I think, even worse than, than it is today because in the Bible times, a woman's identity was really wrapped up in whether or not she could get married and whether or not she would have children. And when a woman was not able, when a wife was not able to have children for her husband, first thing that they did is they just completely blamed her even though very often it is not the, the woman's uh, fault at all. It's as much the man's fault as anyone's. But, but they, in those days, it was just all the woman's fault. And so she was seen as this, as this wife who was not able to fulfill her duties. She was not able to do um, what she wanted and what she should do as a wife. And so you can only begin to imagine the pain that Sarah must have had in her heart. And so now she goes to what we would consider this unthinkable step, you know, to give your slave to your husband to marry so that he could then sleep with her and have children through her on your behalf. Now, like I said, in those days it wasn't that uncommon, 
but it must have still been a very painful thing for Sarah to do. And so what happens, obviously, is Hagar gets pregnant. So now Abraham is married to this other woman, and he has a, you know, now she's pregnant. And Sarah, obviously, still doesn't have any children and is not able to have children. And what Hagar does next is she begins to rub it into Sarah's face. And we don't know the dialogue and we don't know the details, but you can get this picture of Hagar going, you know, ha ha, I am able to get pregnant with your husband and you can't. And again, the pain of that for Sarah must have been excruciating. And so Sarah begins to really resent Hagar. And Hagar, it would appear, just is constantly this conceited individual who is rubbing this reality into Sarah's face. Isn't it true, though, that when we think about comparison, isn't it true that we so often compare ourselves to others based on what we can't do? We look at the things that we can't do. We look at the things that we wish we were able to do. We look at the things that we're lacking in, you know, whatever it might be. And we don't compare ourselves with our best to someone else's best. We almost always compare, compare our worst to someone else's best. And what, ha- and what Sarah is doing here is she is comparing herself to Hagar with the one thing that she is not able to do. She's for- completely overlooking her gifts She's overlooking her abilities. She's overlooking the fact that she's this very supportive wife, but she's focusing on this one thing that she's not able to do, and that's the thing that she is now comparing herself to. Like I said, Sarah at this age is not able to have children, but that doesn't mean that she's not a good wife. Um, As far as what we can read, it sounds like she is an amazing wife. As a matter of fact, she's willing to go along with some of the silly ideas that Abraham has. For example, she's like, okay, I'll go along with it. You can call me your sister so that they won't kill you. Good idea, Abraham. You know, and so she's an extremely supportive wife and helpful. And so here's this one thing that she's not able to do, and it would seem that that's all she is um, seeing at this moment. But I think the way we... Um, sometimes live our lives is very similar to the way Sarah's living hers. Sarah looks past all her strengths. Sarah's looking past all the things that she's gifted in, and she is only seeing the, the thing that she is not able to do. She's only seeing her weakness. One of the dangers I think all of us fall into at some point in our lives, and maybe some of us more often than others, is we fall into the danger of comparing ourselves to other people. I'm always surprised when I talk to someone who, in my mind, would be a very gifted individual. And when you start talking to them and and their view of themselves is low or their view of themselves is very negative or their their view of themselves is only the things that they're not able to see. And this this surprises me. I talk to guys or girls, it doesn't matter. So often you look at them and you're like, really? That's what you see about yourself. You should be seeing all these other things. But so often we all fall into this danger of comparing ourselves um, to, to other people. Someone has said this, comparison is a thug that robs you of your joy, but it's even more than that. Comparison makes you a thug who beats others down um, and also yourself down. And what that means is comparison, and we're going to talk about this more later, but comparison is this thug that's going to rob you of your joy. And so you may be in this place where you're like, man, I'm doing so good and I'm so excited and I'm finally getting this. And then you see, oh, someone else is already doing this way better. So now suddenly all your joy of your accomplishment is gone, accomplishment is removed, and beyond that, you are almost upset at them for being good at what they're good at. So we're going to look at that a little bit more later on. But I remember when we first started having you know, kids, and Simon was our, our firstborn, and you know how you, we are as parents. We, 
We like to compare our children to other people's children who are roughly the same age. And, and you know the drill. You, you try not to do this. You try to tell yourself it doesn't matter, you know, whether or not their kid's doing what our kid's doing or whether our kid's doing what their kid's doing. But, but you still do it. I think every parent here has done it at one point or another. And, you know, you, you really focus on the big things that are, that are really, really big, that are important, that are going to be life-changing. For example, our son can sit on his own. Can your son sit on his own already? You know, those are big, heavy-duty things. You know, like, um, he has his first tooth now. You know, and you look over at this other kid, and he's got, like, a mouthful of fangs already. And it's like, oh, okay, so your kid's ahead of ours. And, you know, and then there's the big one, the really, really big one, is our child is finally sleeping through the night. You know, you know this one. And, and it's, this one still gets me to this day because every now and then I'll be, you know, here somewhere and you're talking to this couple with this little newborn, you know, and they're like, he's already sleeping through the night. Well, ours finally started sleeping through the night. So we're, we're very blessed, you know, but uh, we like to compare our kids to other people's kids. We all do this. But the weird thing is we only compare those things that really don't matter that much or we compare these these little details that, you know, that aren't going to really be life-changing. And we only compare the good things. You know, we want to you know, compare with others the, the good things that our kids are doing. And we're hoping that our kids are better than their kids. No parent would ever admit to that except for me with a microphone on. But that's what we do, you know. Um, so here's one of the things that we rarely do. You know, rarely does a parent go out to other parents and say, you know what, our kid yesterday through like a 45-minute temper tantrum, and I didn't have a clue what to do. Parents usually don't do that. You know, parents usually don't compare those kind of things. Parents are rarely out there comparing, going, oh, by the way, you know, we're in this new stage of disciplining, and we don't know what we're doing. As a matter of fact, my wife and I, or my husband and I, we think we're ruining our kids' lives because we don't know what to do in this stage. You know, most parents, we don't compare those kind of things where we would actually be able to get help. What we do instead is we compare these things that really don't matter all that much. You see, here's what we all love to do. We love to show our highlight reels to others, okay? And often we compare ourselves to other people's highlight reels. So if you think about that, we really create this, this fake bubble for everybody to compare to. And we compare to other people's fake bubbles. You know, I'm not saying that we don't have real highlights. And, and, and yet, what we most often do with our lives, no matter what area it is, we will share only our highlight reel with other people. You know, you're not exactly out there taking pictures or, or sharing about some of the most difficult stages of your marriage. Oh, no, no. It's when you finally go on that one date that year. That you take pictures and, yeah, just out with, out with the honey again, you know, and just, you know, and you share that and other people are looking at it, oh, they're out again. Wow, this is amazing, you know. And so we tend to always show our highlight reels and we compare ourselves to other people's highlight reels. One area where this is very true for me, where it affects me quite regularly, is in the area of preaching. Because I know that many of you are sitting here today and you have been listening to really good preachers all week long on the web or on, you know, podcast or, you know, however it may be, satellite, you know, you name it. You've been listening to these preachers, these big name preachers who can afford to have, you know, um, cable TV and things like that, you know, displaying their stuff. And, and so one of the things that I have to struggle with myself sometimes is that when I come up here that I'm not comparing myself to those people because here's what happens to me. And I don't know how you are in the areas where you compare yourself to other people. But when I start to compare myself to other pre uh, preachers, 
I will begin to try to mimic them. And when I try to do things the way they do them, the gift that I have actually seems to go away. And I find myself, instead of getting better because I'm trying to do it like someone else, I'm actually doing worse than if I would have just focused on the gift that God has given me and do what I can. And I think this is true for all of us in different stages of our lives. So I think it can be a little bit intimidating sometimes when we, when we do something that we see someone else doing better or whatever. But I still believe that God has gifted each one of us to do what he wants us to do, and we need to focus on that. When we walk through life comparing ourselves to other, excuse me, to others, or when we walk through life with this measuring rod that says, oh, now I'm this good or this good, I think that you will lose sight, and I will lose sight of what God has for us, and we will lose sight of how wonderfully we're made and, and how God has an incredible plan for us because all we do is focus on what other people are doing. Albert Einstein said, said it this way, everybody is a genius. But if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it will live its whole life believing it is stupid. Here's the thing. If you have been gifted in certain things, but you are now comparing yourself to an area where you do not have an ability in, you are going to feel constantly like a failure. And that's that's what's happening to Sarah here. She, at this time, does not have the ability to have a child. So now she is comparing herself to someone else when she does not have the ability to do what someone else is able to do. In the August 16, 2013 Unstuck newsletter, there's a story of a woman named Rachel. And Rachel is taking her lunch break, and she's sitting all by herself in the cafeteria. And so in order to not feel like a complete loser, she takes out her phone and she starts, you know, scrolling through Facebook and and, you know, she's feeling kind of sad, and she's kind of feeling a little bit miserable. And she's sitting there eating her salad and, and just scrolling through. And then she stumbles across this, you know, this picture, this beautiful, this woman with a beautiful dress on. And, and she's looking at this thing, and the heading is, Enjoying the Caribbean with my new hubby. And normally, Rachel would have just skipped right over this, but now she takes note, and she's stunned, and she's looking at this picture, and she's like, oh, my goodness. She's thinking this to herself, oh, my goodness, that's Leslie. I can't believe that she has changed so much since high school. And, you know, she's like, she must have lost like 30 pounds. And here I am eating my salad trying to lose five pounds. And she was so, so smart already in high school. And she must be so loaded now. And I can't believe she's taking her uh, vacation in the Caribbean. And, oh, my goodness, she looks so good. And she has, look at all the likes that she has. (coughs) And here's Rachel. Suddenly her whole day is just miserable Not because her day is actually miserable, but because she's comparing herself to someone else. I think in some way or another, every single one of us at some point in life is tempted to do the same thing. We take what we're experiencing and we compare it to what someone else is posting or someone else is doing. And it ruins and it's robbing us of the joy that we have. It is human nature to compare. And I think in some ways there can be a healthy side of it. It can add some new context to our lives. It can make us maybe communicate better. But the dark side is that we use others as a mirror or as a a benchmark for what we think life should be like. When maybe that's not the life that God has in store for us. So Sarah is now so discouraged. She's so fed up with Hagar that she goes to her husband and she complains to him. And look at the advice that Abraham gives back to Sarah. Genesis chapter 16 verse 6. He says, your slave is in your hands. Abraham said, 
Do with her whatever you think is best. Then Sarai, which is Sarah, mistreated Hagar so that she fled from him. Here we have this woman who is comparing herself and is so jealous of the slave girl that the absolute worst in her comes out. Suddenly this Sarah, and you have this picture of Sarah, at least I do, of this sweet woman, this sweet older woman. Now all of a sudden she's comparing herself to this slave girl and she is so jealous of what this slave girl is able to do that she can't, that she becomes this very unpleasant person and she's mistreating Hagar so much that she is actually, that she flees, that she has to run away from Sarah. And Sarah, instead of focusing and appreciating the gifts that she has, is jealous and resorts to abusing those under her. In chapter 17, we read, uh, you know, the turning point in Abraham and Sarah's life. And this is where they're given new names. And, and again, they're reaffirmed that you will have, you know, uh, children and that God will make you into a great nation. In chapter 17, verse 17, when Abraham hears this, you know, so a lot of years have passed by. Abraham, when he hears this, this is his reaction. Chapter 17, verse 17. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? Here, here's Abraham. He's just basically looking at the situation saying, this is, this is crazy. Now, the interesting thing is that this would seem like a completely reasonable response if it wasn't God speaking to them. After all, we don't hear of too many people of that age having children. So Abraham's response seems very reasonable. But when you look at this couple, what you see is, is you see a couple who has completely given up on the dream that they would have at one time had. They've completely given up on the dream of having children. And, and Abraham has, has given up on having children and having you know, his wife have children uh, together with them. So turn to chapter 18. And in this chapter... Here we see that there are these three visitors who come to visit Abraham and Sarah. And when Abraham sees them, he quickly rushes out and he, and he makes a meal for them. And Sarah quickly bakes some bread. And again, the birth of Isaac is announced. This is just a constant theme, like we said last week. This is a, a constant theme in Abraham and Sarah's life, or especially in Abraham's life. In Genesis chapter 18, verse 9, we read this. Where is your wife Sarah? They asked him. This is the angel speaking to Abraham. There, he, there in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have had a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Now, you need to understand the repetition of this promise of Isaac's birth is not redundant. We're not just, you know, they're not just saying it over and over for the sake of saying it over and over. It's clear. It's not clear, but it appears, though, if you look at this carefully, it appears, though, that maybe Abraham has never shared this promise with Sarah. Now, I'm not going to build too much on that, but if that's true, then Sarah is now hearing this for the very first time. She's maybe never heard of this before, and her response when she hears this is to laugh out loud. Now think of the significance of this. Here you have Sarah, who has always wanted to have a child, and now these men of God, these, these angels come, and they finally tell her that what you have always wanted to do, what you have always wanted in your life, the very thing that you are not able to do, is going to happen within a year. 
you would think that Sarah would have celebrated. You would, have think that, you would think that Sarah would have rejoiced. You would think that Sarah would be like, oh my goodness, finally, praise God. You know, she's going to worship God. She's going to celebrate. But instead, because she has limited herself, because she's compared herself to those who are able to do things that she is not able to do, because she has placed all these limitations and all these barriers on herself, even when God promises her something that she would have always wanted, her response is to laugh in disbelief instead of in worship. And I think that there's a, a lesson here for you and I. That there may be some things in our lives that we have limited ourselves to. Not because we don't maybe have the ability, or not because God couldn't accomplish it. We have limited ourselves and we have placed barriers around our lives saying, well, I could never do these things because I'm comparing myself to what other people can, can do. And, and because they can do it better and I can't, even when God promises to use us in ways that we would maybe never consider, instead of worshiping God, instead of celebrating that God wants to use us in that way, we don't believe it. And we um, act out in disbelief. But the interesting here now for Sarah is that now the promise has a date attached to it. It used to be that it was just something that was going to happen at some point, but now there's a date within a year. Within a year, this promise is going to come true. So here's Sarah, who's eavesdropping in on this conversation. And now when she hears this, her natural response, her, her first response is, after I'm worn out, now, all of a sudden, I'm going to have this pleasure. I think Sarah has focused so long in her life on what she is not able to do, that that's now all that she can see. All Sarah can see now in her life is what she is not able to do. She only sees her limitations. And I think for some of us, it's the same thing. From time to time in our lives, all we have done is we focused on our limitations. We've, we focused on the things that we're not good at. All we see is our weaknesses. All we see are our failures, our shortcomings. And we focus them on them so much that we are not able to look beyond those things. And when, when someone asks you to do something or when someone compliments you about something or whatever it may be, you listen and you view everything through the limitations that you have placed on your life. We blind ourselves to the possibilities because we don't let ourselves see beyond the limits. And Sarah has lived her whole life with this one constant, I cannot have children. Now, maybe, maybe not, but I wonder if in those days, if you would have gone up to Sarah and, hey, say, hey, Sarah, tell us about yourself. I wonder if the very first thing that would have come out of her mouth is, I can't have kids. That's what I see when I see myself. Not, I am the wife to one of the greatest men in the world. I am the wife of the man who God will one day, you know, multiply and fill the earth with and build this incredible group of people through. No, I am the wife, I am the person who cannot have children. And Sarah only views and only sees her limitations. And I think, again, if we're very honest with ourselves, there are people in this room who are guilty of doing the very same thing. We have blinded ourselves of the possibility of what God can do because we cannot see past our limitations. And most of those limitations are there because we have compared ourselves far too much to people. When we live our lives comparing ourselves to others, we will develop a view of ourselves that is not healthy. 
So the question you and I need to wrestle with today is what truth, what truth are you blocking from happening in your life because you are viewing yourself the wrong way? The angel is quick to rebuke Sarah in chapter 13, uh, 18, verse 13. The angel said to the Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, I will, ha- will I really have a child now that I am old? Look at this question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the, at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. This question is going to be where the rub is. Because every single one of us here would immediately answer and say, no, nothing is impossible for the Lord. Nothing is too hard for God. Is is anything too hard for the Lord? Of course not. Okay, well, what about the area that you think you can't do something in? What about in the area that you have limited yourself in? What about in the area that you have placed these barriers on? What about in the areas that you have always compared yourself to others with? And God has a completely different plan for you. Are you willing to let all this go and stop comparing yourself to others and focus on what God wants to do in you? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Now, every good church person like Sarah would have immediately answered, of course not. But the rub... The rub is entrusting God with those areas in our own lives. When we take our eyes off of ourselves, we have a much clearer picture of God. But like Sarah, we often view God through our shortcomings. And we view God through our failures and our limitations. And then they cause us to doubt. So let me just ask you a string of questions here just to cause you to maybe think Um, through your life a little bit. Do you believe that there are some things in your life that are too hard even for God to do? Do you believe that there are some things in your life that that are too hard even for God? Don't give the church answer. Wrestle with that. Do you truly believe that there are things in your life that maybe even for God, this, I don't know. I think most of us would naturally say, well, of course not, but are you living that out then? Have you given up on yourself because you only see you and you've lost sight of God? Have you given up on yourself because you only see the negative things you you see and have you lost sight of God as a result of that? Is it hard for you to believe that good things can happen in your life? I've talked to people who will say to me, you know, there's only negative things in my life. My whole life is just negative. I only have bad things happen to me and they literally have this belief that only bad things can happen to them. Do you believe that who you are is for a reason? Do you truly believe that who you are is for a reason, that God has a purpose for you? Do you see only your limitations? And do you love yourself? Do you like who you are? Do you have an appreciation for the way that God made you? Sarah is confronted, and it's done in a kind of an awkward kind of a way. This is one of those passages in Scripture that just seems to, you don't really know what to do with it because it just has this weird, abrupt ending. Look at it. It says, Genesis chapter 18, verse 15, Sarah was afraid, okay? She's confronted by the angel who's asked, now, why did Sarah say this and this and this? And so, you know, why did she laugh? And so she lied and said, I did not laugh. Look at the response from the angel. Yes, you did laugh. Fade to black. That's all we have on it. You know, it's like, did they talk more? Was there like, shame on you? You know, it's okay, come have a hug. You know, we don't know. But 
I think that there's a lesson here for us, though. You see, God knows all of your excuses. And God knows all of the lies that you tell yourself. But it hasn't stopped him from dreaming big for you. God knows all of your excuses. He knows all the lies you tell yourself. He knows all the excuses that you make. I'm not as good as someone else. I can't do what other people do. I this, I this. And he knows all the lies that we come up with constantly for why we limit what he can do in our lives. But that has not stopped God from dreaming big for you. You have to believe that. You may come up with all kinds of lies. But God knows what he wants to accomplish in your life. God knows what he can do. And he knows this. It doesn't matter. You don't matter that much. Because your gifts and your lack of abilities and your whatever, you may just be this ordinary person. But here's what we need to know about God. God knows how incredible he truly is. And I think if we would just surrender ourselves to this, this isn't some broken person or some dysfunctional being that's trying to use us. This is sovereign God who says, I have a plan for you, and if you would just surrender it to me, if you would just give your life fully to me, I will do things with you that will blow your mind. Even at Sarah's old age, think about this for a moment, at Sarah's old age, 90 years old, I love how the Bible says she's well past her years of having a baby. That's like the understatement in the Bible of the year. Like, that's no kidding. Even at her old age, for her to have a baby was nothing for God. God is not limited by our limitations. And when we see only our limitations, we will limit God in what we think he can do in our lives. It's comparison or comparison hindering you from seeing clearly. Have you stopped dreaming because you're focused too much only on your weaknesses and your limitations? So I want to give you really quickly um, four um, quick thoughts on comparison. Number one, we usually compare the wrong things. Think about it for a moment. When we compare ourselves, it's usually things like clothes and cars and paychecks and homes and, and those kind of things. When deep down, all of us know that these, these external things have absolutely, they're, they're an absolute horrible indicator on whether or not someone is a really good person or not. And so we have all of these things that we often compare ourselves to with people and they're the wrong things. We know, we know that these really are not good indicators. And yet we still compare ourselves to others in those ways. Number two, we always compare our worst with their best. I think we've kind of said this before, but I want to I pick on it again a little bit more here. The truth is, and this is important, often the best that we see in others is our assumption of them. Think about that for a moment. Your brain creates a scenario when you see someone else. And you're, so now you're not comparing even to their reality. You're comparing to their assumption of what their reality may be. So you see a picture of a couple doing something. And you're like, they must have a perfect marriage. They must go on all the best vacations. And I bet you when they have a husband-wife conversation, they just wave their hands in the air and all their conflict is resolved. And that's the... That's the assumption that you create. You see someone in town with, what, you know, with their kids, and you're like, oh, they're perfect parents. They have the perfect kids. Look at their fine. They must have the best job. 
And on and on and on it goes. And what we've done is we create an assumption. Our brain creates an assumption of what we think those people's lives are like. And the sad thing is we then try to compare ourselves to that assumption. Number three, we compare. When we compare, we are focused on the wrong person. You cannot control other people. So why waste time and energy in comparing yourself to other people. When you are comparing yourself, you are focused on the wrong person. And number four, like I said, we said this before, but comparison robs you of your joy. It is a thug who robs you of your joy. It makes you regret what you are not rather than allow you to enjoy who you are. It steals the joy that is within your reach to have. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 7, it says this, but blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. The heart is deceptive above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. If you struggle with comparing yourself to others, I encourage you, like it says here, to place your trust in the Lord. He will ground you. Instead of being swayed back and forth, thinking, oh man, if I only had it like other people, you will be grounded. You, in the most driest, driest times of your lives, you will still be grounded deeply. And I know I've said this to you before, but here in this passage it says that the heart is deceptive above all things. I've said this to you before this way, that your feelings are real, but they may not be accurate. And so sometimes what we do is we compare ourselves and we base our lives on our feelings and our heart and our feelings are playing tricks on us and is, is telling us things that are real, but they're not true. And so I caution us today, again, to place our trust fully in Jesus, not in our feelings, not in what our hearts may be telling us at times. God re- will reward each one of us, not for how well we compare to other people, But God will reward us for how well we live out the life that he has called us to live as individuals. So let's not compare to others. Let's not be like Sarah and focus on what I can't do. But let's rather focus on what God's promise is for us. And let's strive and seek after that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this promise that even in the most difficult times of our lives, that when we trust in you, that we can be grounded in the truths that you've given us. Lord, I think every single one of us here at one point or another in our lives has found ourselves in this situation where we are comparing ourselves to to someone else. And And I think, God, sometimes that has made us better, but so often I think that that has hindered us from really living out what you have for us. So Father, I pray this morning that if there's people here that are struggling with this, that our eyes would be planted on you and that our hearts would surrender completely to you and that we would strive after what you have promised us. And we thank you for that promise. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us just one more time?